0: Welcome to Mobile Interactions Now, the podcast where industry pro share first-hand experiences on making mobile interactions work. I'm Kevin, and I'm part of the team here at Tintech. On today's episode, we have the conclusion of our conversation with Valtech Solution Architect, Anders Weichnitz. So here's part two of our conversation with Anders. Take it away, Jean. Anders,
1: welcome back to the show. In our previous episode, we had so much fun talking about the broad concept of connected experience, but now I would love us to kind of delve deeper into the back end side of it and get even deeper into like where we are at in terms of what's already available to roll out and, and try to impact some of the business outcome as we have now. So with that, I wanna pick up from previous episode where we left where we are talking about needing data and leading the right set of data to do certain things. So when you work with your clients and to kind of approach connected experience, how do you usually advise the clients to think about this before, you know, choosing which technology, you know, to which use case to start with? Is there more of a helpful guide in terms of how to think about it in general terms?
0: Yes, first of all, thanks for having me back. I would say there are general recommendations. Modern technologies, whatever that is, enables us to do many modern and amazing things. But for a customer coming new to this field, it becomes this a little bit odd mix of expecting science fiction because they know there are things out there that are amazing, but missing the really advanced stuff that is around us everywhere. Like in every mobile phone, you have, I mentioned in the previous episode, fingerprints, uh, sensors, there are more or less a whole weather station, fingerprint sensor, camera, filming device. So it has a lot of capabilities. But the customers are often so used to that that they don't see, you know, that's your enablers. They are maybe in another state of mind where, where they think, oh, they're, they're, they saw some showcase from a much bigger firm or like or Google or they saw walking robots, whatever. And it's in the end, and more with connected technologies than anything, it needs to be grounded in, in two things. One is the customer experience. Don't try to wow the customer. Don't try to surprise the customer. It needs to be, you know, not stalking the customer. So don't use technology for effect. Use it to support a business case and always start with a business case. What's the ideal, most comfortable, best customer experience and, and a journey to support that and find out how connected technologies, connected experience can help enable that.
1: Let me ask you, is there like a more methodical way of, as a company, looking at their customer journey? Where is the most opportune moment to help my customers?
0: The method we use is through a systematic, what we call a foundation or discovery phase in Valtech, where we work with the customer across the organization Uh, to to identify, first of all, the demographics. Does process and organization align across the board with the intended services that they want to to use? And the technology discussion, of course, is happening in parallel. Connected experience starts and ends with organization process alignment and, and with the customer focus. You cannot just look at the KPIs, Classic is that different departments have different KPIs for their touch points with the customer. Then if they're not aligned to you know, work towards one goal of helping the customer and customer satisfaction, no amount of technology is going to help that.
1: When we talk about those things in industry, it is such a desirable state where the alignment is there and, you know, you kind of moving some of the uh, pieces of internal process or how the workflow goes to deliver that desirable customer experience. And I actually have a hard time finding solid example where this goes without huge technological kind of plumbing work. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because any uh, larger organization, they have this whole layers and layers of uh, other uh, systems they have been using. And it, I was I was uh, intrigued by uh, sometimes what Microsoft was talking about, because you know, all businesses use emails, and they've mm-hmm. been using the thing and then they start not only data mining, in terms of like process mining in a way that it, this, this is like the direction that it, it's going by mining the email request and then the steps that is required. And then they actually, you know, using some of the machine learning and finding out basically charting the flow, how this is usually people are asking about this before they get to the next one. And they really start connecting with, you know, if you are using SAP, then SAP gets it. And by the time I was going through that, you know, kind of explanation, I'm like, Oh, the amount of uh, integration that needs to happen in the background <laughs> to make that sounds not as, a, as a straightforward. Are we actually making progress in terms of a, um, that kind of a big chunk of a work being doable without 20-year you know, rollout?
0: The thing with complexity is that it remains constant. So to me, it's a little bit like energy. You cannot destroy energy. You can like redirect it in, and see it in different forms. And to me, enterprise complexity has similar properties. We can only try to direct it or deal with it using different techniques and technologies, and some will be better fit than others. Microservices and cloud come to mind where you can get a certain level of enterprise agility, or if you want to call it that by switching over from running the systems to subscribing to a service for a database or for a message bus. And, and that gives you at least a reduced amount of investment in, you know, system knowledge and system expertise that you have to build up. And you can focus more on your you know, building the application part, which is your business logic. And you can reduce the amount of effort you, had, you would have to put into the plumbing because the plumbing plumbing is provided as a cloud service it doesn't mean it's a magic wand or anything but that's something where at least my experience the promise of the cloud and and part of these microservices actually delivers there's so much hype around microservices and and what it can do and if you there too much at of course it's not a magic wand and and if you have a lot of microservices you have a new problem you need to coordinate and orchestrate your microservices which you didn't have to do if in a monolithical landscape it's like is it up or is it down? <laughs> <laughs> and that, that, that has you know some real benefits as well so you can you know you shouldn't just you know explode your your systems in in like thousands of or hundreds of services without needing to do so it needs to have a purpose, of course. And that's, I think, where as a solution architect, working with big customers, we can bring a point of view there and, and, and help our customers, help them compose a, a good solution that's based on the actual need and, and not just microservices or machine learning, or it's all there in the cloud and, and you can use it, but that doesn't have mean you should use it all the time and all at once. Well. <laughs>
1: I can tell you an example of where Uber, before they started implementing some of the uh, microservices for mm-hmm. their notifications and each department had a, you know, notifications going to drivers or customers in a different kind of way. Thinking back at some of the examples that you are looking at, has any of this, whether it's a microservices or new communications mm-hmm. platforms, anything like that, that in recent years that really made you change? How you think think about, you know, really designing a solution? Yeah,
0: well, watershed moments or containerization come to mind. So Docker at companies and images, that's one of those things that a huge enabler still has potential. It's not so flashy maybe, but it's really having an impact on everything from ramping up developers and having consistent developer environments to your your project promotion path, how you deliver systems, if you can move images between environments and and I hate to say it, but Kubernetes is also also going in that direction, although there are mixed feelings and there's a little bit of a Kubernetes backlash right now, I feel, but it's the extension of that, right? So so it's it's a mini cloud almost that I can have on my laptop and and, and it's almost like a meta container, you know orchestrating other containers more than just hype. Also, we've said machine learning too much in this podcast, but it works. <laughs> and, and, uh, and it enables you to do things that you couldn't do before. You couldn't do it. So as you, your example was a good one, like reading emails or just finding out patterns in large amount of data, There's, it's very difficult And I would say almost impossible or unfeasible to write a program that does the same Mm -hmm. thing and we use that as a a large customer in Germany for mundane thing but making sense of of reporting data so this is part of a payment workflow or revenue workflow and the data quality is not that great Uh, it has a lot of legacy in it and different sources and we use machine learning and one of the process steps to to kind of match that. Let's say you get 10, 10 different statements and they are actually only relating to three of your customers. But there are spelling errors or variations due to legacy things. That's a perfect case for machine learning where you can train it on data and you can show the machine examples of what it should do and refine and, and it over time. So machine learning although it's a buzzword it works
1: explain this to like business side of your uh, clients and and if you do it what's the secret how do you do it because <laughs> it's not the easiest topic to make them understand the value of it
0: definitely not easy and, and often when it comes up you know the expectation and reality machine learning is good at passing butter <laughs> or doing one one uh, thing or matching these You know statements from a data where data for doing specific things where you can train it and have examples to show it the universal thinking machine or it's not automatically a great recommendation engine and the the example explaining it to customers is often by i would say by example avoiding theory and hand waving things and avoiding too much jargon and just showing cases
1: I'm just wondering because when you are dealing with uh, something that could be abstract, as a connected technologies and stuff like this, is it is it more of reimagining what the experience will be, the flow will be? Is that good enough to get an okay on it and move and implement, or do do you guys actually run the benefit analysis in a way?
0: For larger projects, you have to run the number, and it's extra important with cloud because. Like, what does cloud mean or cloud native mean for a a solution architect perspective? It's the numbers. So previously, you could kind of ignore it. Not ignore it, of course. But estimation of the project effort was the major part maybe for selling. If you're a solution architect, your task often in pitching a project or selling project is like, okay, how long is it going to take? Where are the major risks? But now that's extended in a cloud context to what does it cost to run? Previously, the customer would have to buy a license and then they had the the license kind of. Uh, Now, depending on the choices you do for the solution architecture, the services you recommend, they cost as a subscription. So they will cost depending on running consumption. So you have to forecast based on data volume or, or traffic. And the way you as a solution architect compose the architecture because there's never only one as always there's not one answer can have a huge impact on the running cost so it's, it's much more a stronger impact of running the numbers as you say as part of the convincing the customer that this, this is the right way to go and you have to really have to do your homework there to see you know okay uh what if we if we go with i don't know lambdas and you know uh, serverless functions vis-a-vis running it in an always on Docker container or like a container, which is running constantly on a VM, you know, those are two different cases. One is on the go or per request billing, and one is more or less per hour billing and and per CPU, and that can have a a huge impact on, on any,
1: any trend you are seeing,
0: uh, seeing the trend that the, the cloud providers, of course in the end we'll get all the money. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they, they are also changing so that's part of the challenging where they're changing the pricing of course and and it's not as easy as saying, oh, this is always on VM, always running. That will of course be more expensive in your mind than something that we have just rarely. Someone is calling this service, and and that should be a serverless function. No, but you, if you run a container all the time, you will get the bulk rebate uh, from from. It can be actually more expensive to shut it down, let's say on non-business hours. That's often like something that think oh, but okay, then we shut it down at night because this is only ever needed when people are at work, but that can, can turn out to be more expensive than having it running all the time. So it's not a fixed like set menu They're, they are also tuning their prices as they are launching or upgrading their services. Yeah, that's, that's what I say the trend is. It's a landscape that's finding itself a little bit in terms of pricing. You can make mistakes, but you shouldn't look at the final cent
1: as a as a solution architect are, are there are some things that is emerging that get you a little excited and try to kind of put it into every proposal that is going out the door <laughs>
0: i hate to say so of course machine learning on edge every proposal <laughs> but but uh, the, that's i would say that's emerging that's maybe trending and this sounds like a cliche but i really uh, fascinated I follow the explosion in nfts and digital collectibles that's not something you can really put in every post <laughs> uh, because it has a certain but beyond the high well beyond Bitcoin and ethereum and just looking at the possibilities so of blockchain is uh, tired maybe but the smart contracts are wired that's a still a lot and, and digital collectibles and the things you can do around that, And for me, the creator economy and this digital collectibles and NFTs, smart contracts, it's currently like a huge hype around that. And I follow it closely. And and, uh, there's so much happening in that space. I wish I could include it in. Every single proposal
1: (laughs) that (laughs) shall not be fungible.
0: (laughs) That is, uh, there is also uh, exciting things around that with uh, like social uh, tokens and. uh, Are you are you
1: really? I mean, I I have to I have to actually pick on this. Because here, here's the reason why, and this, I'm, I'm sharing with a little bit of a hesitation three years ago now uh, with some developers at work uh, at Tintec and we did some smart contract mm-hmm. demos and and I uh, wrote blocks about that mm-hmm. and we created some smart contract that that kind of uh, connects the blockchain world with, uh, with the real world to trigger some kind of uh, authentication moments when, you know, the Parties had to yeah, uh, solidity, do that. Guess, and then it it was kind of buried, actually. Mm-hmm. And then there was like you know the, the the blog piece was collecting dust, and then all of a sudden, and it's a right weeks, now. Ago, <laughs> <couple> weeks ago, couple of weeks ago, we are getting this is emails about that, and I'm like, and then you're mentioning that that is it, that is, that uh, is getting uh, hot, and I'm like, uh, are you serious? I'm
0: um, so this is like a, a a hyper trend right now, and you could see it's going a little bit mainstream. It's overhyped again, of course, but but it's going mainstream. And what's my observation around that is look at NBA top shots. So NBA Na- National Basket Association in the US, they have launched a website where you can buy sports moments. So basically a digital version of these collector cards that you had for players, you know, collect all the Lakers a huge market baseball legends whatever uh and they, they have made like a digital version of that which is they call you can collect moments so it's sports moments small video clips uh, and they drop these in in packs and you can buy the packs you can showcase them on the site as a, as a fan that i have these I don't know, rare moments whatever um there's an element of gamification in there what's interesting to me and my observation so those are uh, nfts but it says nowhere in the site so it's it's a sports site. It's all blockchain technology under the hood. Although it, it it doesn't say that. And if you look at the reaction videos on YouTube where people watch these it, sports fans, it's not crypto nerds reacting. It's a sports site for sports fans, for, for people who like kind of yeah, collecting. <laughs> uh, to me, it's a sign that it's going mainstream and it's found... You know, uh, use and it's a simple use case. Translating something that worked in the real world online, because you can through the smart contracts and and the non fungible tokens, you know, guarantee scarcity and there is some. You can create these things, and they have sold in the last forty days. I checked at the beginning of this week. The traded volume because you can collect them, but you can also sell them to the other other fans. So I buy packs. I don't. I have duplicates. I don't I have a couple of these moments. I can, you know, sell them on on the marketplace. They have traded more than three hundred million dollars on that site in the last forty days, and five hundred million dollars since it, 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 it since it launched. So it's definitely. You know, going beyond the crypto community and and, and the nerd community, let's say, and, and it's interesting aspects in the and the-
1: finally enter the funny money territory.
0: Yes. <laughs> well, it's not fun. It's dollars, it's actual money. But they, they made the onboarding really easy. It's, I bought one just to see what's the customer experience like. How can I buy one of these cards? And you know what I don't have that kind of crypto. They don't use Ethereum, they use another. You know, and they, they really made it smooth. And they and the players get kickback. So there are a lot of interesting through these smart contracts, the players themselves that are featured in the moments uh, get a kickback automatically as it's sold. And of course, each each transaction smart, uh, contract you can you you can track the sales and also get shares on the sales back. So. The players are kind of incentivized to, to promote this site on Instagram or wherever they, they, they are to drive traffic. So it has a lot of interesting aspects in there. Um, yeah, I would love to do something around that.
1: Yes, uh, I would expect you to put that on in your next proposal. But Anders, I think you just did it. I think you are able to take connected experiences to, into a total different realm. Now we are talking about connecting the blockchain world with the real world. And I think that was the point of this. It really is about not necessarily like what happens in one physical store and then going to a website. It is about wherever it's taking places and connecting all this. So before I let you go, I want to ask you a little quasi personal question. So can you name? the three things you do the most on your mobile phone
0: yeah and i'm i'm boring in that sense i'm not an app person only i have as every one i have reddit on my phone <laughs> i i browse reddit in my carefully curated selection of subreddits i have hacker news so that's part of my daily routine and facebook of course like like most people and taking photos, but I'm not a heavy user in terms of app games or different things, reading, YouTube, Reddit.
1: Well, I think you're having fun. I think you're an avid reader anyway, so that's a wrap. Thank you very much. That was tremendous fun, at least for me.
0: Thank you very much. Great to be here. Thanks again to Andrew's Weidz for joining us today. You can find more about Anders at valtech.de. To find out more about Gene and Tintech, visit tintech.com. Make sure to subscribe to Mobile Interactions Now in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or anywhere else podcasts are found. On behalf of the team here at Tintech, thanks for listening.